One of the things uh, that you probably know if you know much about the Summit Park story is that Scott and Jen left a great job, or great jobs, I should say. Uh, They left a great home. They left family to go to a place where they didn't know anyone, they didn't have family, all because there was more that God wanted to do through their lives. And they were willing to say yes to that calling. In fact, we are in this room right now today because two people said yes to what God had for them. And had they not said yes to that leading in their lives, then we would not be here. You wouldn't be watching. And Ashley and I would not have been able to say yes to what God wanted us to do. You see, during that time of 10 years ago, it was 10 and a half probably when we were really wrestling with the idea of selling our house and leaving my family and quitting my job in order to come up to a place where we didn't know anyone and so on and so forth. But we were able to say yes because these two people were able to say yes to what God wanted to do through them. And today I want to talk to you about how God has more he wants to do through you, but it all starts if someone will say yes. In fact, aren't you guys thankful that Scott and Jen said yes to what God told them to do? We love you guys. And, you know, you're, this church is very influential. And I hope you realize how uh, blessed you are to be a part of a church like Summit Park, who's reaching this community and making such a powerful difference uh, for the community. And, and God is working in a mighty way. It's very evident uh, here in my time as we're visiting today. Of course, I've known this in our time before. But God does have more for all of us. In fact, this book for me was a moment to say yes. God had birthed this book in my heart 16 years ago. I was 25 years old at the time, and I felt like God wanted me to help people with a word to encourage them to live their life with purpose and to make an eternal impact right where they are every single day. And now I'm thankful that I didn't write the book when I was age 25. I'm, I'm glad because during my time of maturing and growing and and meeting new people, I actually really discovered a lot of amazing stories of people and how God used people to make a difference for the kingdom. And so the book is full of stories of people just like you and me who uh, have an opportunity to do something for the kingdom of God and how it can make a, a big impact. You know, one of the things I think sometimes we can look at the social media followers or the, the YouTubers or, or the pastors or, or all the who's who in the Christian world, and, and we can be, begin to think, well, well, they're making an impact, but we also have the ability to make an impact. And now, this is especially meaningful for me to be here with you guys today because there are people in this room whose story is in this book. So not only the Abramskis, but we've got our man John Higginbotham over here, his story, We've got the Holtz over here, their story. There's other people, I don't, if, I, if I go down that road, I'll probably forget someone, so I'm just gonna stop there. But the point is, there are stories of people that you know from here in this book. And, and, and so I'm just so thankful for what God is doing to help people step into what he wants to do in their lives. Now, before we get started today, it's 4th of July weekend, we gotta have some fun. And uh, I know that this is a church that likes to have fun. And as you can see here, I brought my bow. Now, this bow was given to me uh, and so I'm, I'm just out of curiosity, where, where are my hunters? Do we have any hunters in the house? Okay, we've got some hunters in the house today. Well, we all probably know the traditional use of the bow and arrow. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you, you grab it with one arm, you pull back with a string on the other, and then for you hunters out there, that's how you get your big buck. You know, just release and boom, you got it, right? Well, maybe not quite that, that easy, but you get the point. It's all about pulling the string back and, and, and hitting your target. That's what it takes to, to shoot the bow and arrow. But I don't know if you realize this, there's actually... Uh, other use, another use for the bow and arrow. 
It's unconventional. It's not your traditional use. And I uh, certainly wouldn't want anyone to get hurt today, so I'm not going to demonstrate for you. But instead, I thought I'd show you just a quick video off of YouTube uh, of another unconventional use of the bow and arrow. Let's take a quick look. It's in you. How can you be running? How can you be running? It's in you. It's in you. Boom, there it is. There you go. Next time you hunters are out, you don't even need to pull back. Just throw that thing, and you've got it under control. Oh, we just got to have some fun. But believe it or not, you didn't know you were coming to church to learn about this today, but there's actually another use for the bow and arrow. We find it in the Bible. And as we look at 2 Kings chapter 13 today, we're going to see some powerful insight for us on how God wanted to use two individuals to save the nation of Israel. And what it's going to do is it's going to show us how God wants to use our lives to capture moments possible to make a difference for the kingdom right where we are without having to drastically change our lives. And despite our past mistakes, despite our stage of life, whether we're young or old or somewhere in between, regardless of how spiritual we might be, God wants to use us to capture moments possible to make a difference for the kingdom. You see, I do believe there is more that God wants to do through you and all he's looking for is your yes. And so before we look at 2 Kings 13 today, I want to kind of set the stage for what we're about to read. You see, at this time, there were two nations at war with each other. There was Aram, which was the much more dominant nation. This is present-day Syria. And then we had Israel. And Israel was not doing well from a military standpoint. In fact, Aram was so dominant, they would just go into city after city and just take it over. So they went into Gath in chapter 12, just took over Gath. And so now it's Israel's turn. They're, they're the next in line to face this dreadful reality. And so what's happening here in this moment is that the people are worried. They're afraid, and they're looking at this situation, and they're thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? This is what the Bible says in verse 11 of 2 Kings 13. Excuse me, verse 7. Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like dust at threshing time. So if you've been in the military, you know that's not much of a military for an entire nation. And that was the reality that Israel was facing in this moment. So the people are worried. They're afraid. They're thinking, when is Aram going to come back for the final blow? I mean, is it just a matter of time and we're all about to be goners? That's how desperate this situation was. Now, during this time, there was a leadership transition. So Jehoahaz passes away. His son Jehoash becomes the new king of Israel. And Jehoash is worried, and he's afraid, and he doesn't know what to do. And that's where we pick it up today, starting in verse 14. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. I want to pause here for just a quick moment. Elisha's a prophet. So a prophet in that day was a spokesperson for God. So God would give the prophet a message, and then that prophet would declare that message to the people, even to the king. And there were times throughout Elisha's life where he had a message from God to give to the king that would save the nation of Israel from defeat. And this is one of those moments. So Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. And Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. Remember, he's afraid. He's worried. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. 
the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha said, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. And then Elisha died and was buried. (laughs) Not your conventional use of the bow and arrow. But I want to put ourselves into the scene a little bit more so we can kind of have a full grasp of what's happening in this moment. So as I mentioned, of course, Jehoash is worried. He's afraid. He's looking at this bleak-looking situation, and he doesn't know what to do. And many scholars believe he's actually calling Elisha the chariots and horsemen of Israel. He's saying, Elisha, you've been our rock. You've been our defense. And now that you're about to die, we're going to be left defenseless. And so he's afraid, and he's worried. But Elisha, being the man of God that he is, he has one final moment to encourage this fear-filled king. You see, at this time, Elisha's in his 80s, so he's literally uh, about to die, possibly quite, quite possibly on his deathbed, but he has enough strength to be able to walk over toward the east window where Jehoash is supposed to shoot his arrow. And with shaky arms, I could just imagine him putting me to shaking arms, just placing his hands on the king's hands. And in that moment, the power of God was symbolically given to the king through the placing of Elisha's hands on the king's hands. And what he's saying right then and there is this arrow that you're going to shoot out the window represents victory. You got this. You're worried about Aram, this nation that's so dominant, this nation that the people are afraid of. I understand, but you don't have to worry because you're actually about to wipe them out instead. It was a role reversal. I mean, this would have been the Cinderella story of the century, this week, hanging on a th- by a thread, Israel defeats the superpower Aram. But then what we see here is he's told to strike the ground. Now, I got a couple fancy arrows here with some sharp points on them, and uh, we're going to be safe. Don't worry, guys. But this is what many scholars believe he's saying. He's uh, telling him to literally strike the ground like this, like literally to, to hit the ground. And what he's saying is each strike of these arrows represents the victory that God wanted to give to the nation of Israel. You see, the Bible says that Jehoash could have struck the ground five or six times. That's what Elisha was hoping for, but he only did three. And there's something very powerful I want you to see from this account, is that Jehoash could have gone all out. He could have gotten the full and complete victory for the nation of Israel, but he didn't. He gave a a half-hearted effort. It It was a partial victory. He stopped short of what God wanted to do in that moment. And this account is actually designed to be a caution for you and for me. You see, God wants us to go all in. He wants us to passionately pursue him. He wants us to strike our arrows every chance we get and to not stop short of all that he might want to do, not only in our lives, but through our lives. Now, as you read the Old Testament, one thing to know is that the Old Testament realities are actually spiritual realities for our lives today. So in the Old Testament, you've got this physical battle happening between Aram and Israel, and that directly correlates to our lives today. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle of light versus darkness. It's a battle of heaven versus hell. It's a battle of good versus evil. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then that means you're a soldier in the Lord's army. Now, we don't always think about ourselves as soldiers or spiritual soldiers, but in reality, we are. And actually, just out of curiosity, does anyone ever remember the Sunday school song, uh, I'm in the Lord's Army? We got, okay, so we've got some people. Well, if you, if you didn't grow up in church, um, or, or if you don't remember the song, uh, you can YouTube it after, or we give you permission. But uh, it's kind of a silly song, kind of quirky. 
But this is what the lyric said. It said, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. And you know, as a kid, I don't think I realized the theological significance to that song. But in reality, we are soldiers in the Lord's army. And God is looking for people like you and me who will strike our arrows, figuratively speaking, so that we can get a victory for the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that we're in a battle in Ephesians 6, verse 12. This is what the Bible says. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, we are fighting in a spiritual battle, and God is looking for people who will go all out and step into the opportunities that God has for them because God does have more he wants to do through you, and all he's looking for is that yes. And so in the balance of our time, what I want to do is I want to share three realities that we can see from this passage that will will help us to be more effective at striking our arrows, that will help us to be more effective at fulfilling the purposes and the plans that God has for our lives. Because in reality, God does have a plan and a purpose for your life. The first reality is simply this, that God wants to partner with you to accomplish his purposes. God wants to partner with you to accomplish his purposes. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, God wants to partner with you. He does. God, the God of the universe, the God who said, let there be light, and light was formed, and put the sun and the moon and the stars in place. Then he created the the land and the water and the sky, and, and then he created animals, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and then after all of that, he creates humanity. That God. I mean, he's all powerful. He's all-knowing. He could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He does not need us. But he chooses to partner with us in order to fulfill his purposes here on earth. God wants to partner with you to accomplish his purposes. The Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20. It says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, in the United States, we have ambassadors around the world. And they are representatives of the United States Uh, in those respective countries. And so they're looking out for the priorities and the policies of the United States and interacting with people in those other countries, but their goal and their purpose is to represent and support the United States. Well, for us, we are representatives of heaven. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. We're actually not citizens of earth. Now, I know that it's hard for us to fully comprehend what that looks like, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we are ambassadors of heaven here on earth for this time to fulfill the purposes and the plans that God has for us from heaven on earth. We are ambassadors of Christ. Now, when we think about what it looks like to be an ambassador, one of the best examples for us, the perfect example, is Jesus himself. Jesus, a citizen of heaven, comes down to earth to live a life that is a model for you and for me. And so we can look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, well, if that's how Jesus lived, then that's, that's how we ought to live as ambassadors for Christ. And I think that's God's design for us is to model our life after Jesus. And now it's easy for us to look at some of the things that Jesus did while he was on earth and say, okay, yeah, I can, you know, I can, be a, I can, I can grow in my compassion toward people and have that unconditional love and be a gracious person just like he was. But, you know, when we really begin to think about all the things that Jesus did and how he operated on earth, it can actually get a little daunting if you start to think about, oh, well, maybe he was healing the sick and he was delivering people and setting people free. And, 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 and that's our responsibility as well. In fact, Jesus actually said that we will do greater works than he did, John chapter 14. 
And so if we're supposed to be doing greater works than Jesus did as we live out our faith and fulfill our purpose and we're ambassadors from heaven to earth, that's kind of a daunting thing. And I know sometimes you can feel a little unqualified. You can feel a little unworthy. You can feel a little inadequate for the task at hand. And so there could be times where we feel like, well, I could do some things for the Lord, but oh, this over here, oh man, I don't know. And yet God wants to do amazing works through you. He's looking for you to be the ambassador. He's looking for you to be the soldier. And one of the things I love that Scott has always said in the past is that we are imperfect people on an imperfect journey toward a perfect God. And the truth is that is such a reality that we are imperfect people. And so we can look at the responsibilities or we can look at the calling from God or we can look at the sense that we might have in a given moment where God wants us to step into an opportunity and we realize, well, we're imperfect. I, you know, God can't use me. I'm, I'm inadequate for the task. But in reality, despite that, God wants to use us even though we're imperfect. That's what he wanted to do with Jehoash. In verse 11, we find out that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Bet, which he caused Israel to commit. He actually continued in them. So Jehoash not only was a, a, a lacked faith, he actually wasn't even a man of God at all. He was doing evil. And then in verse 13, we find out that he actually names his son after Jeroboam, who was this super wicked king in the history of Israel. And so here we have him continuing in this sin. And what's crazy about all of that is that God already knew that. God already knew that Jehoash was an evil person, and yet he still wanted to partner with him to save the nation of Israel. And so the good news for you and for me is this, that even if we've messed up, even if we've made some mistakes, God still wants to partner with you to accomplish his purposes. So we have to remember that we don't serve a God of the past, but rather we serve a God of the future. So God sent his son Jesus to forgive your past so that you could embrace the future he has for you. In fact, that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said this. He said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I mean, if you know much about the Apostle Paul, he was giving the approval to the murder of Christians, persecuting them. But he understood that I'm going to forget what is behind, and I have a purpose now. I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. And that's my encouragement to you is to strain toward what is ahead, to press on toward the goal for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is more that God wants to do through you. You're not perfect, but because of Jesus, you're purchased. And so because of that, sometimes we need to say from this point forward, I'm going to step into what God has. I'm going to forget what is behind, and I'm going to embrace what God wants to do next through my life. God wants to lovingly wrap his arms around you. This is what I love about Elisha. He actually places his hands on the king's hands to give him the power that he needed in order to step into what he wanted him to do. And God wants to do that for you too. He wants to lovingly wrap those arms around you to give you the power, the strength, and the help that you need as you partner with him. Well, second reality, just quickly, is that God will give you opportunities to make a difference. God's going to give you opportunities. So once we realize that we're partners with God, that we're ambassadors for Christ, that we're soldiers in the Lord's army, then all of a sudden I think we'll begin to see and recognize that there's actually opportunity everywhere we go. You know, like I said earlier, we don't have to be influencers. We don't have to have a certain social media following. We don't have to have a YouTube channel. We don't have to be a pastor of a church. We don't have to be a certain level of CEO or title of, of some sort. None of that matters. In fact, we're going to leave all of that behind, and all that matters in the end is how we lived our life and the opportunities we stepped into that, that God gave to us. And so my encouragement to you 
is to step into the opportunities that God gives you. Elisha had an opportunity, and his opportunity in that moment was to encourage the king. Jehoash's opportunity was to strike his arrows, and all of that was designed by God to save the nation of Israel. And so God gives you gifts. He gives you talents. He's given you resources. Uh, You've got abilities, and he also gifts you with opportunities. And so what I want to encourage you to do is what Ephesians 5 says in verse 16. says, make the most of every opportunity. And so the gifts that you have, maybe, maybe there's some areas where you can tap into those gifts and you can use those gifts, even here at Summit Park. And, you know, maybe you've been putting off getting involved in ministry. And what I want to encourage you today is regardless of the reasons why you hadn't in the past, from this day forward, you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and sign up for Growth Track. I'm going to go ahead and get ready to get involved in, at, in ministry here at Summit Park because there is more that God wants to do through you. And he's given you gifts. And part of being a part of the body of Christ means that we have a gift, we have a role, we have a function. And God wants every person to be a part of what he is doing in the local church. And so if this is your church home, then I want to encourage you to get involved. But in reality, everywhere we go, we have opportunities to make a difference. I mean, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the workplace, when school starts back up, everywhere we go, there are opportunities for us to make a difference. And it doesn't matter how long we've known the Lord or how short we've known the Lord. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, or how spiritual we are. All those things don't matter. All that matters is a, a willingness on your part to say, yes, God, sure, okay, yeah, put me in. You can use me. And I believe as you do so, God is going to help you in a powerful way. In reality, every prayer you pray, it's a strike of your arrows. Every dollar you give, it's a strike of your arrows. Every word of encouragement you say, it's a strike of your arrows. Every time you invite someone here to Summit Park, another strike of the arrows. Every time you share the gospel, strike of the arrows. Even in life's challenges, Those are actually opportunities for you to strike your arrows. I'm reminded of a a woman. I share this story in the book. Uh, It's a a friend of ours. She lives here in Lee's Summit. Her name is Crystal Wheeler. Some of you may know her. Uh, Crystal, several years ago, uh, had some complications with her pregnancy. And what ended up happening is she ended up having a stillbirth. And so now instead of planning for a baby shower, she's having to plan for a funeral. And and during that time, uh, after the baby was born, uh, baby Gracia is the baby's name. And, and after baby Gracia was born, her friends and family gathered together for a time of prayer and worship and just a moment to be together, to encourage each other, support each other during that difficult time. And they ended up collecting $400 for her just to do whatever she wanted to do with that $400. And, and so she sat on that money for a little bit and just tried to figure it out what, what she was going to do. And she could have spent it on anything, pampered herself, taking care of herself, rightly deserved it after going through such a horrific situation. But what she ended up doing as she was sharing her story with other people, she began to learn how many other people had experienced some sort of pregnancy loss like she had. And, and there happened to be a woman four weeks after her pregnancy loss that had just had a pregnancy loss herself. And she said, you know what? I'm going to take that money. I'm going to buy some supplies and a gift box. And I'm going to give that to this other woman to be a blessing to her during her time of hurting and pain. And what this mom, Crystal, did not realize was that was the beginning of a nonprofit called Lullaby of Hope that to date has given more than 3,000 gift boxes to women who've experienced pregnancy loss. That's awesome. That happened because she took a life's challenge and she said, you know what, I'm gonna spin this into an opportunity to be used by God to make a difference. And so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're going through a life's challenge right now. 
or maybe it's just the everyday moments of life. But what I want you to know is that God will give you opportunities to make a difference if you're simply willing to say yes. Well, the third and final reality we can see from this passage is that God will use you to the degree that you believe for his help. God will use you to the degree that you believe for yourself. So in other words, the degree to which you believe God for the victory is actually the degree to which you will see the victory come about. This was the case with Jehoash in verse 24. We see Hazael, king of Aram, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazael, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated him, so he recovered the Israelite towns. It's interesting, isn't it? Three strikes of the arrows and three battle victories. And I think the point is simply this, that the degree to which we believe God for the victory is the degree to which we're going to see the victory come about in our own life. You know, in reality, our level of faith actually determines our destiny. It determines the outcome of the situations that we face day to day. Jesus said this in Matthew 9, 29. He said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So there's something special about our faith that leads to the victory. In fact, as Jesus would heal people, what would he say all the time? He'd say, it's your faith that has made you well. It's, it's your faith that has healed you. And so there's something special about our faith that will deliver a victory. But to take it even a step further, our faith can make the impossible become possible. Jesus said that in Matthew 17. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know if you've ever had God ask you to do something that felt impossible. I know I have. And you look at the situation, you say, well, there's no way. Or, or maybe you have some family members or friends that it's, it, it would be impossible for them to ever come to know the Lord. There, you look at it, there's no way. Well, Jesus says that faith can actually make that impossibility become a reality in our lives. And that's just the truth of the fact of the matter is that, that our faith does determine the destiny of the situations that we face. And I believe God wants to use your life to do the impossible. To things that you'd look at and you say, well, there's no way I could ever be used by God by that. Or, or remember, you, you may be remembering that past and those, the circumstances of life or the things that happened to you and say, oh, well, I mean, I could be used by God some. But I believe that every person in this room, regardless of your past, starting today, if you say yes, starting today, that God can use you to do impossibilities and he will use it to change this community. He will use it to uh, strengthen and build this church. He will use it to impact your family. Everywhere we go, God has the ability to do the impossible simply through your faith. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, one of the stories I share in the book. It was during my sophomore year of college. I was attending Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. During that time, there was a freshman that came on my floor. His name is Dominic. Dominic was a passionate young man. He had a heart for God, and he had a desire to do big things for the kingdom. In fact, he had a goal. It was a spiritual goal that he, he printed on this 8.5 by 11 white sheet of printer paper. He slapped it up on the cream cinder block wall in his dorm room. So every time we're in there, we see in this plain white sheet of paper with black ink. And this is what the goal said. It just said 1 million souls. His goal was to reach a million people with the gospel. Now, that's a big goal. That requires some big faith. But he actually had the faith to believe he could do it. By the age of 20, he founded an organization called Missions.me. This is an organization that holds large-scale outreaches around the world. And in 2013, he held an outreach in Honduras. 
that outreach alone reached more than one million people with the gospel. In fact, the next day, the newspaper said, we have a new Honduras, all because a college freshman had a goal and had some big faith to believe that God actually could use him to make his mark in this world. Now, you may not have a goal to reach a million people. I'm not, I'm not trying to set the bar that high for you, although I don't want to set the bar too low either. But what could God do through you? At kids camp, uh, a few weeks ago, my son attended, brag on my son for a moment, he's nine. And uh, after camp, I said, hey, you know, so what God speak to you? Well, I think I'm supposed to pray for someone once a week. I said, that's awesome. Let's go, let's do this. Maybe for you, it, it, you'd start there and say, you know what, I'm going to offer to pray for someone once a week. I'm gonna, when I'm at the grocery store, I'm going to be looking or listening to the Spirit's voice, and maybe there'll be someone that I could pray for. Maybe there's someone I can encourage. Maybe there's someone you could invite to church. You say, you know what, once a week, I'm going to try to invite someone to church, or I'm going to share my testimony, or I'm going to share the gospel. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to put, put what God's calling you to do in your mind. That, that's for Him to decide and, and for you to simply be faithful with. But all I'm simply saying is that God has a work he wants to do through you. And sometimes it might take a little initiative. Sometimes it might take a little um, sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. But when you do that, God is going to honor you and he's going to bless you. And we're going to see the kingdom get victory after victory after victory after victory. There's a man in the Bible named Archippus. And Archippus, the Bible says, was a fellow soldier. He was a, a soldier fighting the good fight of faith. Most of us have not heard of this man He's only mentioned, I think, twice in the entire Bible. And in Colossians, Paul writes to Archippus. This is what he tells him. He says, see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. And my encouragement to you is the same. To, to see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. Because God has a work he wants all of us to complete. As long as we have breath on earth, there is a role. There is a responsibility. There is something that God wants to do through you. And so I just want to encourage you to seek that out and to make sure that you do all that you can as you pursue God to complete the work that he wants you to complete. So that could be here at Summit Park. Maybe it's time to sign up for that growth track. You know, maybe it's time to say, hey, we got kids camp coming up in a few weeks. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going I'm to start inviting people. Maybe you make a goal and say, I'm going to try to invite five, five different families or 10 different families or, or whatever. How can you be used by God here? But then even also, just as you're at work and in your community, at school, what is the work that God wants you to complete? What are the gifts that he's given you that he wants you to utilize for kingdom purposes? There is a work that God wants you to complete. And I believe as you do so, God is going to honor you and bless you unlike you've ever seen before. And it all happens when you pick up those arrows, regardless of the past. You say, hey, starting today and moving forward, I'm going to strike my arrows every chance I get and know that God will use me to make a difference for the kingdom. Keep striking those arrows, and you're going to see God get a powerful victory, and it's going to be so fun to watch.